preceptors, but also a medic. DFD does a lot of our training, thank you. And yeah. is willing to do this today, too. Uh, also known for being the top report writer, <laughs> according to Dr. Emily, uh, <laughs> in the department. Well, that's Woo. very kind. Uh, I don't know that she I would. Said it, not me. I read, I read many reports and I, I look at other people's and, and think, oh man, that's really good. I should do something like that. So um, uh, having that reputation is probably not totally well deserved, but I feel like I, I write a, a complete enough report that people know what I'm, I'm trying to get across. So uh, if by the end of this, that's where you end up, I think that'll be good. Um, lots of different theories on report writing out there. Um, when I started, it was a big game of make it as concise as you can. And I remember preceptors handing back reports that are student. Uh, I don't know if you ever ever seen A River Runs Through It, a movie where he's training his kid to write uh, uh, the essay, and he's like he keeps crossing out words and going again, <laughs> half as much, again. You know, I have <laughs> memories of like salty medics handing reports back and like. It was a dark and stormy night, and there we were, you know. And like, no. So there's kind of a, a trick to knowing how much is too much and, and, and making sure at the same time you include all the pertinent information. So the big thing that you need to remember um, when you're crafting these reports is, one, this is a legal document that follows you forever. This... This can be tied to lots of different things. Um, this is something that's uh, searchable by the patient, should they want to come back and read what the heck you wrote about them. Um, this is uh, something that can be subpoenaed by courts. Um, so there, there's something that your, uh, uh, your docs might look at or your supervisors. So just bear that in mind when you're writing those reports that they matter. Um, and they also matter because you're going to look at these reports six months, a year, two years, potentially three, four, five years later and not remember this call at all um, because I was, I was pulling my reports. This year I had a really light year in report writing because I was on the engines a, a lot and I think I wrote, I still wrote like over 200 reports this year. Um, Matt, can, Matt was our most dispatched guy in the BFD last year. I would bet you probably had somewhere around three or four hundred reports. Um, so you can imagine when you start throwing those kind of numbers around that... that we also mentioned this might end up at CE in front of all your peers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, whatever you write will follow you. So... So, yeah. One, you want to try to look professional. Um, so the, the better you can write a report, that you know, the smarter it makes you look. Even if you you can fake it, even if you're not smart, you can learn to write a good report, right? Um, and so you you want to be able to write something that you can look back at it and go and and get all the details that were pertinent. And um, you're painting a scene, you're you're explaining what you saw, what you did, and and so when you read that report without any context of of remembering that you were there, that you can go, oh, okay, I think I got enough information. So. You know, tomorrow when you're writing a report and you write two sentences in your narrative and, and then, you know, oh, that makes total sense to me because I have all this information that's fresh in my head. But, and then you give that same report to Rob, who's not on the call. He's going to go, ooh, okay, what, what's going on here? Um, you know, is this a man or a woman? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, uh, just basic stuff. So uh, what I did last night was I kind of outlined how I do reports, which is probably not so different from how you've learned to write reports. Many of you guys use the SOAP format. Um, I use one that I learned when I was in medic school, which is akin to that, um, where it, it breaks your report down into five or six different um, um, different sections. So starting with, your, we all start with our chief complaint, right? So when we're starting our chief complaint, this is your, your place to put what, what the patient's uh, complaining of. So what the patient would describe as their primary ailment if they were able to do so. If they're, so not every patient's going to be lucid. Not every patient's going to be conscious. Um, so if they're able to talk to you and say, hey, my chest hurts or I'm short of breath, then that would be their primary complaint, right? But if you find them on the floor with snoring respirations and they're unconscious, they're probably not going to be able to tell you what they're complaining about. So in that case, you're, you're talking about what you're there for, right? The reason for the call in the second bullet point. Is it cardiac arrest? Is it a syncope? Are you there for a trauma? Is it a gunshot wound or, or some kind of traumatic event? So um, just kind of in a nutshell summarizing what, what you're there. Some, some people like to put the patient's age in everyone, like 97-year-old female age and gender, uh, in their chief complaint, because that, and I do that sometimes. Sometimes I don't. I don't know why. I but you're going to develop a pattern if that's what you want to do. I, just to qualify this report writing system that Todd's showing, it's just a modified soap. Yep. Um, that the CC HPI and history presenting all these these things were always on the left hand side. You guys remember that from our paper reports. So I loved writing reports this way. And once we started in the computer system, it kind of seemed to change that. And as mm -hmm. a leader from the, from the EMS-1 spot, trying to read people's reports without those prompts, oh, yeah. it, it's awful. Yeah. Um, it doesn't flow like it used to without people having just a prompt. I mean, history presenting illness, that's a wonderful way to kind of break soap into just subjective, right? Like chief complaint, history presenting illness. It's like those two just helped me when I was writing reports to to be able to define those two differences and make sure I didn't miss something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we miss that now. So I like what you're illustrating mm -hmm. here. If you guys can uh, keep that in mind as you write them, I think you'll have a little more thorough report. And we're getting better as, as with this new software. Um, when we were in medic classes, when they first rolled out the electronic port writing <clears throat> about halfway through, which was a nightmare. It was an absolute junk show with those tough books and we could never get anything to print at the hospital and we we're told we couldn't leave the hospital till the hospital had a printed copy but we tech for tech reasons they we couldn't even print. It was just yeah. you'd go back to the station print bring paper back to the hospital you know, do that ten times a day and see. How um, okay so your chief complaint. Um, Rob talked about history of presenting illness. Um, this is, if this were the soap, this would be your objective section, right? Um, this is, these are things uh, that were told to you, things that happened prior to your arrival. Um, we talked about patient transfers. Um, you might get a, a patient from a BLS crew. This is a great opportunity to maybe at some point include what the BLS crew did prior to your arrival. Um, Things what the patient says to you. Uh, these are their chief complaints. Um, this, 
And I like, what I like to do is, I like to try to describe their chief complaints as best I can in a way that reflects your questioning. Uh, some, in some way that might include their OP, if you think about your OPQRST. Let's take chest pain, for example. So, um, Paul, you're telling me that your, your chest hurts. Uh, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a six out of 10, okay. What were you doing when it started? Um, all right, I was sitting in a chair. All right, um, anything you do make it better or worse? Oh, how about when you take a big deep breath? Oh yeah, that makes it, that makes it way worse. It, it's, it's a sharp pain and, and it, and it kind of goes over here to my right shoulder. Um, and uh, you have any nausea with this, Paul? No, no, any shortness of breath, any diaphoresis? You're asking all these questions, right? So going, let's go down the chest pain route. So you could say in a sentence, I've got a 28-year-old male complaining of substernal sharp, non-radiating, uh, four of 10 chest pain uh, that increases with respiration and palpation with no associated shortness of breath, nausea, or diaphoresis. So in one sentence, you've got your whole OPQRST kind of lined out. Does that make sense? Uh, and it also keys the reader into saying, okay, these are the questions that you asked during your assessment. And it tells us a lot. And, and I, I, I don't think I, I missed like onset that began at like 0900 while he was sitting in a chair or your patient states that while he was sitting in a chair at 0900 had a sudden onset of sharp chest pain, non-rate or sharp. I put the descriptors usually in there and then the, the does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is under history of presenting illness, sorry. So this is your chance to kind of describe what's going on with the patient. Um, and I, I'm, I also apologize because I'm not savvy enough to put this all on a PowerPoint, so you're getting a Word document. To be fair, I, I can make a PowerPoint, but uh, I copied a bunch of reports from ImageTrend into Word documents so I could get rid of all the HIPAA information. So this was just the easiest way. Um, so yeah, describing what the patient's com chief complaint is in kind of a concise manner. Um, and pertinent negatives, you guys know what pertinent negatives are? I said, I do not have chest pain. Right. So not, so not only are you describing in, in the first section what the patient's complaining of, then you're also kind of uh, uh, describing your, what, they, what they deny. Patient denies this, this, and this, and this. So like. You know, if you got sharp pain, you might be uh, tailoring those questions around other possible etiologies for chest pain. Say, like PE, you might risk factors for PE are going to be like uh, uh, long trips or car rides, history of blood clots, or smoker, or birth control, or all these things. You might say denies this, 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 and this, and and so as again as a reader, you're reading this, going, oh, okay, they're ruling out potential causes of PE. Or you might say, patient, or other pertinent history might, patient says they've had three PEs in the past, or history of uh, uh, DVT, or clotting problems, or this and that. So you're, you're painting the picture and setting your, the reader up for what you're essentially going to rule out later, and, and what's going to guide your treatment plan. Um, uh, yeah? Is there a certain way that you uh, organize that in your HPI section with you're describing that, say it's that chest pain call, and then where you put your pertinent negatives. I always finish my pertinent, I always finish, I shouldn't say always, 
I wouldn't say every one of them looked exactly the same, but I tried to finish with the pertinent negatives. Um, and in this HPI section. Yes. 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 Yeah. I think so, that's one of the things that separates EMTs from medics is your ability to explore pertinent negatives and firm up your belief of what's going on. Is there a fever? Isn't there? Is this pneumonia versus PE versus uh, legitimate ACS? You know, like all mm -hmm. those things are only weeded out by asking good questions, uh, pertinent negative questions, and then being able to put them in there, like you're saying, in a, in a kind of fast way. You know, mm -hmm. patient dies, recent surgery, recent, you know, car rides, no clotting disorders, and, you know, no pain in the back of his calves. You know, like anything that is helping weed out those things, no fever, no recent cough, you know. You can put all those things at the end. It kind of, kind of can be long, but you are firming up exactly what anyone reading that will know. Oh, yeah, he's already done all the work for me to make sure that when I feel like he's bringing in someone who has this problem, sure enough, it looks like that to me as well after reading the pertinent negatives. And that being said, you can add two paragraphs of pertinent negatives, right? Mm -hmm. So just... I would also encourage you to make them relative to what you think is going on. Pertinent. Pertinent, <laughs> pertinent exactly. Pertinent. Right. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, there's a lot of things that we ask about every patient that, you know, I, I, I often throw in like recent illness or nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, just, just general input-output type things that might affect the way somebody feels, particularly if there's a syncope involved or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, so just try to keep them pertinent. Um, so this past medical history in the, in the past, that used to be where we would put, list all the patient's medications, uh, allergies, and uh, their medical diagnoses. Like they've got a history of CHF, COPD, asthma. You'd put all that in your report. Um, in our new report writing software, we have uh, we have that here, right? We've got health history where you got these drop-down menus, and you can do this the long way, which is like, okay, I can go down and try to find these different guys, which, you know, doesn't always work. If you go to this little search menu, you can go, like, hypertension. Uh, let's... <laughs> there you go. See that? And then you go, okay, they got primary hypertension. If I'm being honest, I don't populate this stuff. This is really good for uh, statistical stuff and really good, especially if you have common patients that we're going to see lots and lots. And I think the community paramedics appreciate having this. Um, but oftentimes, I'm I'm, I'm a little lazy and I write so many of these reports, I might just go hypertension, hyper, you know, COPD, hyperlipidemia, and just list a few things there and call it good. Um, so you can use this field if you want. Um, you also have the option to put medications, which you can take a picture and just go, Attached, there's attached med list and call it good, um, which is a great way to do it. Um, you can type out medications. Um, I use the dictation feature a lot on the iPads. Uh, I don't know if you guys have messed around with that. 
So for instance, you would go to this section where you've currently clicked in and then hit I do my almost my whole narrative dictation as well, um, just because it, it, it's faster. But medications work pretty well because it does a pretty good job. You can say metropolol, comma, um, simvastatin, comma. Yeah? Do you record dosages with your medications? No. Okay. No, because... Uh, it used to be a big deal to do that, but uh, the hospital typically will have all their medications and their doses anyway at some form of record that they can retrieve. So I believe you're right not to worry about all those extra little things. There, milligrams, milligrams, twice a day, three times a day, none of that. Just put the name of the medication. As you become more aware of medications and what they do, you might see a medication that looks a little bit suspicious or, or might tell a little bit more of the patient's story. Like if you see somebody that's on, you know, uh, Lasix, you know, 80 milligrams a day, 100 milligrams a day, that's, that's a lot of water pill. Um, so that tells you that they're retaining a lot of water. They might have significant congestive heart failure. Um, so there are times when you might put in dosages if, if it's pertinent. Or, you know, they're on high doses of beta blockers or, or, or this or that. Um, but in general, the hospital has a much more complete list. And it's pretty rare you're going to take a patient these days to the hospital that has a laundry list of health concerns where they don't already have a running medication list on file that's way more complete than anything we're going to scrap together on this, right? Uh, this is kind of more for just reporting. Or, yeah? Uh, as far as the community paramedic, Joe has said if you go to one of their known patients, mm -hmm. please don't alter this oh, yeah. information. Right. Because they manage all of it in there. And if you mess with it, it mess them up. So. Yeah. And, and when you say that, Matt, you're saying that uh, that would be in, in this section all the, here. All the history, meds, all that stuff. But you could still write whatever you wanted in here because that won't transfer and wreck a document here, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you got a patient that's in, well documented in the system, when you, like, you'll go to, uh, the, have you guys done this find repeat patient? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. If you find that patient in the system, it'll download all that past medical allergies, uh, medications, so yeah, don't mess with it. That's kind of, once you download that information, you're tying into the system and that system will save anything you add to that. Um, so that becomes part of their record that we keep. Um, so that's what's CD, also- There was a note about trying to use this so that when they did their searches for someone, it came up properly, right? Is that? Um, even if you put the same name in. Yeah, so one thing you do want to make sure too is that you get the right name. Or the, some people have a nickname or uh, maybe you have the wrong spelling. So say you have, you get the wrong spelling of the first name but it's a common patient. This common patient has a whole list of, of, of visits to the emergency room, the community paramedics tied in with them, and then you write a new report and you spelled Stephen with a V instead of a PH or something like that. Now that information is not going to be linked to that patient anymore. Um, that will show, it, it won't go across to the community paramedics attention or when they look up that patient they won't see it. So if you think you have a common patient, the best way is to search that common patient field 
and make sure that we're talking about the same person. Verify the birth date and the spelling of the name, and you, you know, and that will ensure that they get that information and they get kind of a complete list and they can go, oh, it looks like we saw you Tuesday for such and such. Um, that makes sense? Um, okay, so we were talking about past medical history. So um, whether or not you want to put allergies here or there, um, it's up to you. Um, oftentimes what I'll end up doing is I'll just put like the main medical concerns, like past medical history, I might just say, or if there's pertinent, it's kind of like pertinent past history. Um, you bring somebody in for chest pain and say, in the past medical history, uh, uh, three MIs in the last four years or three stents placed two months ago, um, you know, uh, or if they're on a new medication or they just started taking blood thinners or or even you know, blood thinners, say you're taking somebody in for a ground level fall and you might say patient is taking blood thinners. So that information is in the forefront. Anything you want to kind of call out attention to that you think might be in the patient's care interest. Yeah. Uh, some of that I've done in the past, and I, don't, I see you have like an asterisk that says these can be recorded in other locations. Something I've done is if the patient tells me like I have a history of MI or whatever, I typically write that in the HPI. Is that okay as well? Yeah. Is it something that they? Yeah. Me? If you want to include that in your, that's something they told you. Yeah. Yeah. Or a patient says this feels exactly like my past MI or, yeah. Or, yeah. or yeah, it as long as it's in there and it make you know, and and whatever way you decide you want to do it is fine. If you feel like it needs to be kind of highlighted, if if sometimes I if I don't have anything there that's worth mentioning, I'll just skip that whole section. I won't even have a, a PHX. So I'll just go right to assessment. Uh, and when I say these are recorded in other locations, that's just referring to if you want to put them in these other optional fields in the report writing, you can do that. Okay, assessment. Um, lots of different ways to do this. Uh, I've seen pretty thorough stuff. I've seen pretty minimal stuff. Um, I always start with a sentence of how I found the patient. <clears throat> so I'm coming to see Rob in his house. Um, I'll describe how I found him and what condition I've found him, um, what kind of mental stat status he's presenting with, and if he's any, in any kind of obvious distress. So. If he's talking to me in full sentences, I might say, medic one finds patients seated in recliner, conscious, alert, and oriented, speaking in complete sentences, uh, breathing normally, and no obvious uh, distress or discomfort. I use that all the time. So that tells the reader that I've got a patient that's pretty much at rest. Okay, that's, that's an undistressed patient. Um, I've got a patient, say Rob's got a COPD exacerbation, I might say, Medic 2 finds patient sitting in tripod position uh, in a chair with or conscious, alert, and oriented uh, with, I usually describe my breathing as like mild, moderate, or severe, uh, with severe shortness of breath, um, labored respirations, two to three word sentences or two to three word phrases, 
uh, or in obvious respiratory distress, distress, something of that nature. You're, so those two sentences paint a very different picture, right? Um, and probably 70 or 80% of the time, you're gonna have a patient that's fairly non-distressed, right? Um, but when you can call it those ones that aren't, you know, a patient, Medic 2 finds patient unconscious, uh, prone position on the kitchen floor with agonal respirations. Okay, and now you know we're talking about something totally different, right? Um, oh, one thing I didn't put in there is, uh, is uh, like uh, skin signs. Okay, so brief description of how you find the patient and your initial impression. Your opportunity to paint the, uh, the, that should say, overall clinical picture in a sentence or two. Um, and I usually keep that to one to two sentences, fairly short. Uh, there are times when I'm a little more lengthy, lengthy, especially if I'm taking a patient from a BLS crew or if there's something that happened um, beforehand. Um, I might say how, if I don't say it in the HPI, I might say a two find, found patient or reportedly found patient such and such and such. They moved patient over to the bed or the chair. Uh, they were able to walk or they had to carry them, whatever happened, and then this is how we found them. Um, just a little uh, a sentence that qualifies the scene a little bit. And since, since we're not writing two reports like we talked about before, that kind of documents care that was provided prior to your, your scene. So it, it, it kind of encapsulates their assessment in addition to yours. Um, and you're also kind of just saying, this is what they told me. So if you want to put that, and I've seen people put that in the history of presenting illness as well, um, and that's totally fine. Uh, if you want to put that up there and then just put what you saw here, that's totally fine. Yeah. So putting stuff at the first arriving unit told you in the HPI? You can do so that. Like that's that's still objective your... information, right? It's not things that you're directly observing or seeing. If you want to reserve your assessment to things that you see and do, uh, you can do that. I'm saying it's probably okay to do it either way. Sure. Um, just figure out what way works for you. And, uh, and like I say, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And um, so. But um, I'm sorry, but it's like saying something like A2 uh, stated that they arrived on scene, found the patient in obvious respiratory distress in the recliner, mm -hmm. uh, put them on high flow oxygen and package them, something like that. Or no? You could do that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I might, in terms of like when we get into their specific treatment plans, you can, you can talk about that and maybe just kind of reiterate that in your overall plan. Um, uh, we'll get down back to that later. Yeah, Matt. Uh, yeah, one thing that'll happen commonly is I'll get a medication before you get there, like aspirin from a BLS crew or from dispatch <laughs> prompting. So I definitely I'll put it in HBI or where he says it's in my Yeah. Just want to make sure that. And see, for me, I do that in the plan section. I was just gonna ask, like, I'll say uh, patient received through 325 milligrams of aspirin prior to arrival okay. by aid two. Then you know. Just so all the treatments are. So this does get redundant, and a yep. thorough report sometimes is a bit redundant, you know. And it, and it comes down to a bit of personal style because I can, 
I can read a lot of different reports and they're written very many different ways, but the information ends up still being there. Some people are much better at writing a nice thorough report than others for sure, but I do think that a lot of people do end up being a little bit redundant in some of their spots. And you can try to avoid that. You know, you don't have to be redundant. So just don't don't think that with this format that Todd's describing that you need to follow things to, to make them redundant on purpose. Try to avoid redundancy for your own speed of getting things done, but do define where you put things. And if you feel like it needs to be there, then yeah, you could be a little bit redundant sometimes because you want to mm -hmm. make sure people don't miss it or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Try not to be just for your own speed. You guys are a lot of damn reports. Um, but <laughs> if you feel like it's, it's pertinent and fits in that section, then do it. So for overall documentation purposes, because you were saying that you usually don't add in the medications underneath that medication tab or the pertinent history under that history tab. Mm -hmm. But for something like aspirin getting administered prior to arrival based on dispatch telling them to, that's something that we need to make sure that gets put in the medications tab on the right side, right? The prior medic to arrival, that medication was... When, what tab are you referring to? Um, so, are you talking about interventions yes. right yeah so that's important yeah. to at least get that stuff yep so if you tell me as a bls provider you're given air, uh, aspirin mm -hmm. i will go ahead and add that and then just prior to arrival and, and then, then obviously in your narrative saying yep. prior to arrival bls crews administered aspirin yep so okay. i'll go to the timestamp here and uh and well, this doesn't have any CAD information on it right now, but um, if you that PTA would show up, right? So what I like, what's nice is the more CAD information timestamps you have when you're starting to kind of rectify all these numbers in your report um, for kind of lining things up where they should be. And this system is very poorly designed for that. Our old one was much better, where you could actually kind of raise them up and down and kind of order them all on one sheet without having to go back between screens. But this is what it is. But the, what we have is, okay, we've got, I can highlight this time field. I can go over and say, oh, current time, on-scene time, patient time, destination arrival. Those are the four presets that it gives you. So you might say, I use the on-scene one a lot. So if I know that uh, I, medication was given five minutes prior to arrival, I'll, I'll click on-scene. And I'll come down here and I'll do negative five minutes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'll go, whoa, wait a minute. It'll highlight this medication administered prior to unit, EMS unit's care. It'll recognize that you're, you're adding an intervention that was given prior to your arrival. And they just go, yep, it was given prior to arrival. So in those cases, that redundancy is good, though. We want to make sure that that redundancy is, gets and documented. Emily has talked about this being... Like when she first came in, she just really wanted to clean up our reports. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, she was a little more hard-nosed when she first came in, like most people are, I guess, about things. But she really wanted what you're describing, Todd, is like a really complete written report, just like we used to do on paper, basically. Mm -hmm. And then also wanted all these things, too, because this is all trackable data that goes in, um, you know, to, to be queried later. Mm -hmm. But everything in that written report isn't. But she wanted both of them. <clears throat> the doctors are going to look at your report, read your narrative, and that's what they want to know. They don't want to look through some section in a different part of the report and find, oh, they had aspirin here. Check the boxes. So, I mean, really, the best report is a bit redundant, especially when it comes to this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. All these interventions you enter in over here are going to be listed in a sep separate section. So of the report, you'll have your narrative and then it'll have a, a medications or interventions section um, and you'll, you'll be able to list them through. Um, as we get further down into my little outline, he talks about redundancy. Uh, I have it in both places. I have like a, a flow of uh, what I did as a provider and the medications, how much I gave and all that, all within like two sentences. So you can read it, but also you can look back and double check it in the list form that shows like exact time given um, and uh, the dosages, or you, I put those anyway, but um, and it, there's other qualifiers in there too, like did it help the patient? Did it make the patient worse? You know, or any comments, those are your, your opportunity to say, oh, well, and, you know, they didn't do so well with this, or this didn't work because such and such. Yeah. Um, when you are writing your report, you have a critical chest pain patient, somebody mm -hmm. diaphoretic, get a 12 lead, mm -hmm. we gotta go. Yeah. You're not doing a CTL assessment on that patient. Right. What is your phrase for covering that? Or do you just... I just delete it. You just delete it? I just, I, and I put everything up there just and there might be more that you want to add depending on the type of exam you do, uh, but this is totally uh, changeable depending on the patient and, and the opportunity you have. Sometimes you, you have little opportunity to even evaluate a patient very well or, or maybe, uh, um, maybe abdominal assessment is not really pertinent to what's going on. Maybe you've got an ankle fracture and you just didn't ask them or even care about their abdomen, you might put not examined or you might just leave it out. Um, and you'll see a lot of medic reports that are pretty bare bones when it comes to this kind of stuff. Most of our guys, you, you were required to go to the assessment section over on that other side, and it can be incredibly brief. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, there's almost nothing in that section. They don't mark, march through all the extremities, the head, the neck, everything. They, they simply leave that all blank. So, so the assessment will be very I'll show you since we're talking about that right now you will not be able to get a hundred percent validation unless you have an assessment or an exam um, and I really don't like these because you're it's box clicking and I don't think it translates to a good written report so we're thinking of this one right now the exam so that's one option here and and check this out right you got this big kind of i guess it's it's okay you got to sort through this whole thing really if you just put in any one if you just say oriented person and say okay that is it satisfies, it satisfies your field for your exam yeah you don't have to go through abdomen you don't have to go through chest you don't have to go through all those different sections um here's the one i like which is a little bit more uh, visually appealing is you come down here to the all tab and then you've got assessment. Okay. So what this does is it gives you, yes. So if you just want to talk about their skin signs, you can just go, okay, here's your, all the options for skin and or mental status. Um, any, or if you just want to talk about their lower leg, uh, left lower leg, you know, as it gives you all these different in, in, options. Put edema. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I honestly didn't even know that was there. Yeah. 
But again, I put my significant exam findings in writing right in that assessment portion. But if you want to be super detailed and go through the systems, this is a pretty nice way to do it. And if you wanted to select certain systems, I think it's a little more uh, user-friendly. Is there a there? Uh, no, not in this okay. section. Will filling this out satisfy your exam? Or yes, it yes it does. Assessment or exam, either one of them. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and most people don't realize that that's there because it's in the all tab. So, um, well, and you may you may choose the exam. Maybe you like that one better. But I don't know. So you can go there to find your fast easier too. Your fast exam. Well, your fast is right here. Oh, it is there. Yeah. Um, which is a requirement anytime you rule out CVA or stroke, it'll highlight red. You need to complete a fast exam. And it's going to ask you that you have a blood sugar, and it's going to ask that you have a time of onset, pertinent information. Um, okay, so going back here, this is kind of a collection of things that you might put in your exam. So skin might talk about obvious things. We've all written medical reports, right? What's the color look like? Is are they sweaty? Are they cool, clammy? Are they hot? Are they are they got a fever? You know, hot to the touch? Or that pale? Uh, heat, head, eyes, ears, nose, throat. It's kind of a trauma type deal, but I use it for medical too. And you know, I, I, I will talk about any kind of anything from the neck up, whether it's uh, their pupils, conjunctiva, I might talk about their gaze, facial symmetry. Sometimes I'll talk about their speech is clear, um, JVD, any tracheal deviation, if that's pertinent. Um, any, any trauma, you can, you can talk, go more detail about trauma and, you know, is there anything in the ears and, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so for a medical call, you would just write that based on what's pertinent. Yeah. You're not going to write no JVD, no midline trach, no tracheal deviation. Well, you can have JVD. Well, JVD is also a medical finding and things sure. like COPD yeah, and CHF. You're, you're Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very selective about what I put in there. And you may not write all these, for instance. Right. I might have half those things, or yeah. Is there yeah. anything you put in heat? Like every time, do you say like Peyton Airway? Like they had that. Um, continue on, or is that not? Obviously, you can, to you. and that's that's going to be up to you. I I I think that's for me. That's inferred if I tell tell the reader that they're alert and oriented and they're speaking in complete sentences. You know that. That tells most people that I've got a patient that's got a patent airway, you know. But I would I would encourage you to do exactly that, not add extra things, because you will get too long-winded if you're trying to add some of these as standards in every single report. You're going to end up too long for the broken arm or for some of the things you got right mm -hmm. So do try to limit your your information if it's if it doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Six, seven reports down, you'd be fucking frustrated. You're like, God damn it! There's nothing that can do. I would I would encourage you to spend more time getting good at your HPI. I mean, this is all good stuff, and hopefully this helps kind of guide your assessments in the field, too. You start thinking about, okay, if I'm going to report this stuff, I better, I should probably be doing it, too. Yeah. 
I was going to say, like, to, to your point and, and yours as well with, like, having this structured outline and then being, like, totally bogged down in stuff. Do you have a modifiable template that you say, like, I have a lot of stuff, like, preloaded, like, you just throw that in there every time and then fix it and make it look, obviously, catered to this incident. Or um, rewrite everything every time from scratch. There is something on here. I... I I, I'll show you. I have like ten reports as examples. Oh, your yeah. Okay. Sorry. So I'll, I'll show you what we have. There is a way to auto generate a report, which some people use. Yeah. I don't like that stuff. Yeah. It's. It's really I feel like I have to go back and fix everything. And. So you feel like you have to make so many modifications to that yeah. that it doesn't fill in there. So yeah, CTL is more of a trauma thing. Uh, cervical. Uh, thoracic, lumbar, spine issues, um, chest, thorax. I put lung sounds there. If they've got chest pain, I might kind of reiterate, uh, qualify their chest pain. Um, ab yeah, abdomen. What you're finding there? Yeah. So for all of these, because I know that you've talked about kind of getting in that flow and trying to do things not necessarily the same way, or, but similar ways every time so that we kind of get our system down. Keeping all that in there and then for certain ones, depending on the pertinent calls, just saying no complaints, not assessed. Mm -hmm. Is that completely acceptable? Yeah, and so you guys yeah. are talking about maybe having a template that is sitting somewhere that you can that you can load in on this page. Just kind of copy and paste from notes like or something like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I think that I think some folks did. Is that yeah, West, West, um, you can yeah. 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 Things like that. Yeah. 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 To have the prompts to be able to write your stuff out quickly, so yeah, it could work. And then you could hypothetically just delete those fields if you didn't want, or you could write an NA next to each one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. That could work. Like if you want. And, to make and I, I really just think of, think about starting at the head and going down. So if you forget what else is in there, you just start. Okay, well, below my chest is my abdomen, and below my abdomen <laughs> is my pelvis, and then I got my extremities, and I'll throw arms in there too, you know, legs and arms. Um, so pelvis, you might, if, if in the absence of trauma, I might make a note uh, if somebody's incontinent of urine, uh, maybe they had a seizure, uh, maybe, uh, maybe they wear adult undergarments and you're ruling out a UTI, I think that's pertinent. Um, Sorry, what was that last part? If they're wearing, uh, depends, like diapers, in which, and they've got a UTI, which you're going to see a lot of that, yeah. you see anyone using GIGE? I don't do that, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, it's just because it's not in the habit of what I do. It, and it's certainly not a bad thing to do that if you want to do that. But I usually cover GI complaints in my HPI patient says they have this or they don't. Because um, I'm not physically examining their GI tract. <laughs> Hopefully you're not either. <laughs> uh, extremities. Uh, oftentimes, it, I might, or neuros, I might just say, hey, patient's ambulatory without assistance, moving all extremities appropriately. If I'm, if I'm not squeezing each hand and checking sensation and all that, you know, 
that isn't like a full neuro exam, right? But it does, it's, it's a firefighter way of saying this patient can walk and talk and they're, they're doing okay, right? They're, there's, there's no deficits that I'm seeing. Um, I usually throw an, e, we have an EKG section. Um, I f threw this in here because Emily uh, sounds like she wants to see that like in our assessment. Um, uh, at least somewhere that's not, you don't have to dig through the, the stat stuff and the little interventions. Um, I will throw a brief explanation in there of my EKG rhythm strip interpretation, my 12 lead findings, say normal sinus rhythm, 12 lead shows, no ST changes, D wave inversions, or QT prolongation, or uh, you'll, you'll find out all about that fun stuff. Um, and then vitals, I don't put vitals, a lot of people do because I think that's the one thing that it's pretty. things that Emily initially said she wanted there, but now it's kind of relaxed a little bit on, so <clears> that's optional for you guys, okay? Again, when you got six reports down, and you know you've already put the vital somewhere else, you may decide I'm not gonna mm -hmm. do that, but. It's a lot of numbers and slashes and things like that, yeah. and, and times, and it, you know, which vitals do you put there? Do you put the first one, second, third? So I'd rather make a complete list of vitals in my vital section, which it's pretty easy to scroll down in the report, um, you know, when you generate these reports and go, oh, okay, the vitals are this and this and this and this. Um, if there's, I, I may put vitals in my plan section at the end that shows maybe like a disposition type vitals so the patients, or maybe to show trends, I might talk about that, or, or where they ended up when we dropped them off. Um, but I generally don't worry about it here. Yeah. So if you had that UTI patient mm -hmm. and they are febrile, would you potentially, like is that, would you, like if you had a vital sign that was pertinent or that was out of normal? Yeah, and if you want to do that, it's certainly, uh, yeah, it's certainly relevant to your rule out, right? So anything that kind of helps you kind of state your case and calls attention to it, because that's something that might be missed otherwise, if you think it might be missed. Um, again, you're assuming people are reading your reports, which they're not, uh, until way later, and when you don't want them to read them. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So after that is your chance to kind of talk about what you think is wrong. I always used to put rule out, and back when I learned it was, you rule out at least two different things. Um, which it sounds like Emily's not a huge, as huge of a proponent of that. Um, so you might rule out um, acute coronary syndrome versus pulmonary embolism if they've got chest pain or some other nasty thing that might kill them, right? So you bring them in for chest pain. These are the things I think it might be wrong. In that case, that's an appropriate thing because with chest pain, we don't know what's going on. We might think it's a STEMI, but there's... That Six works. other things, seven other things that'll kill you that are chest pain, right? Um, that right, and we based on years ago. So we were supposed to have we don't diagnose as medics, <clears throat> we were supposed to have a couple of rule outs so that billing had a better chance of getting the thing paid. So if you're ruling out ACS and PE, then it's helpful for them. And Emily came in and said, No, just put your impression down. So yeah. Yeah, so I change it if there's a few things I'm not sure and I want them, like these are the things I think it could be, I'll put rule out. If I'm pretty sure of what's going on, it's like quacking like a duck, 
You know, you got the 88-year-old smoker that's hacking up yellow phlegm, night sweats, fever, and uh, they've got, you know, rowels, and you're pretty sure it's pneumonia. I just put pneumonia. Um, so I think that's a pretty safe bet because that's what you're bringing them there for. If you're bringing them there for a chest x-ray to rule out pneumonia, that's, 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 that's your impression. I mean, it could be something else, yes. It could be some weird interstitial lung disease or something, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to rule it out. Right, so keep it simple. Um, John's going to have to listen to the podcast later. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing? Um, do you, it's 10 o'clock. Do you need to take a break? Yeah, we should take a 5 okay. break. Let's do that. John, you weren't here, but you can use either one. If you're pretty sure you know what's going on, I use impression. Um, if, you, if you're uh, kind of thinking about a couple different ones, you can throw a rule out and go rule out this or this. Um, so plan. Um, this is usually a short paragraph for me. Right, summarize whatever treatments I've done. Um, and it usually starts with something like patient assessment, vital signs, um, maybe EKG, 12 lead. I just kind of think about the flow of the call from the time I got there and, until the hospital. So I'll kind of start with chronologically. Uh, this is what I initially did. Uh, we moved the patient to the ambulance. Um, via gurney, uh, I might, might say the patient was able to walk to the gurney or carry, we might say blanket carried the patient to the gurney. Uh, all these little details that don't take much time or help kind of painting the picture um, for the reader that wasn't there, right? Um, so go to the gurney and then I talk about any inter interventions we did prior to or during transport. So. We already say we've already done our 12 lead. Okay, we did an IV. You, you got to specify what you document in another place, but I usually, it's pretty easy to just say like IV, 20 gauge, saline lock, right AC. Um, by, I, I, you don't even need to, need to say by who, who did it, because that, again, that'll be documented elsewhere. Um, or instead of saline lock, you might say uh, normal saline. 300 cc bolus, um, and then anything else like five milligrams of Versed, I am a right deltoid, um, and then if you gave it an additional dose of Versed, you might you're going to have to document that again, like later. Okay, five minutes later, another additional five minutes of Versed, uh, left deltoid, um, and you might describe what happened to the patient or why you gave an additional dose. Um, yeah, so this section, more detailed depending on the call severity. So if your, your run-of-the-mill call, which is gonna be most of your calls, are gonna be fairly brief. There's not that many interventions. You guys are gonna be starting a fair amount of IVs just for practice. Um, so that might be all you get to. And, and, but it's pretty rare that you start throwing in multiple medications. Um, actually pretty very rare anymore. Um, you can talk about changes in presentation. Uh, did they have decreased LOC, they drop in blood pressure, any of these things that help might tell the reader uh, why you did certain interventions um, and uh, the results of those interventions. 
So, <laughs> so we just say we gave or said uh, sedation achieved or sedation was ineffective, gave an addi additional dose, uh, IV or IM, things like that. Okay. Um, sometimes this is a section I might talk about any conversational stuff I had with the patient or any recommendations. So you're not always transporting people to the hospital. Um, you might be leaving somebody at home and, and saying, hey, I think you should really go to the hospital. You're telling me that you don't want to go. That's fine. Here, you know, here are the, here are the possible consequences of, of you staying home. And uh, I'm going to document that I said those things. I want to document that conversation because um, remember we talked about it being a legal document, especially anybody that we leave at home, those are the reports that you should spend the most time on. Those are the ones that are going to bite you in the ass later, I guarantee it. It's not, not going to be the ones that you transported and did a decent job at. You know, you can do an adequate job as long as you get them to the hospital, you're covering all your liability. But the minute you leave somebody at home that calls 911 for some reason, you're evaluating them. Um, whether they deny care or you recommend they don't go, you really need to spell that out, okay? And document why you came to that conclusion um, or document what the patient said, document what you said to the patient. If you go to uh, this here, let's see here, narrative, patient care. Um, you guys know where that uh, section is, and maybe it hasn't populated because. Oh, well, I think you have to select it. Yeah. Treated and transported. Let's see. What, um, or let's see. Uh, treated release. Treated release might be or a better one. Or treated refused. Uh, Let's do that one. Okay. Uh, I thought it was in like narrative. Which tab is it? Hmm? Disposition instructions. Disposition instructions. No. Yes, yes, that, uh, thank you. I was, was looking at it. So this gives you some drop down menus. Like you can document what you told them, like see your doctor emergency department immediately, see your doctor emergency department the next four hours, see your doctor in the next 24 hours, contact 911 if you see your doctor, if the problem worsens. So it covers a lot of these things you might say to them. So you could, you could just select any of these tabs that apply. You can select multiple tabs. Um, so that's one way to do it. You could write it out. You could, uh, um, but you do want to at the very minimum, document what you said to the patient um, uh, in some form or another so that it, it, everybody's on the same page and, and make sure that they get that signature too. That, uh, that yeah, that refusal signature. Refusal, yeah. So just so you guys know, there's a lot of patients that you go on and you're not required to get a refusal if you're making a suggestion that they go see their doctor the following day and that's all a good plan, right? But you don't have to say, they refuse care and make them sign a refusal if they don't go with you and you have to just do that every single time. That's not, that's not what we're trying to say because there are a lot of folks who will leave at home with your good sound advice to stay at home and call someone the next day or whatever. 
So in those situations, you are going to document what you told them, but you're not necessarily always getting a refusal for every patient you don't take to the hospital. But you should, when you think it's it's uh, someone you want to go, maybe you didn't put your full heart into convincing them to go to the hospital. You think maybe they don't really need to go, but you feel like liability-wise, you should be making the suggestion and that you would like them to go more or less. And you, so those, I would say, get a signature refusing care. But if you're, if you're really like, no, this person does not need to go to the hospital, um, I feel very comfortable with them going to see their doctor tomorrow, which is what they want, is what I want, then just document that you want them to go to see their doctor tomorrow. The patient admits that says that they agree that they will go to their doctor tomorrow um, for a checkup on their, their high blood sugar that they had today or something. So that's acceptable. So don't think you always have to get a refusal sign for everyone you leave on the scene. That isn't what we do. But be clear with your documentation, like Todd's saying, these are the ones that will bite you later. Because you will, you will, if you don't document something reasonably well about your talk, your conversation with them, and the plan that you have, then they will make shit up. It will be a completely different story when you hear about it from the lawyer later, right? Well, they said that they wanted to go to the hospital. You said no. It was too expensive. And whatever other speeches I've heard from people, stop telling people it's too expensive. Don't ever use that. Like, that is not why you don't transport. That is the worst way to to leave someone on scene, yeah, you know, you don't need to go, and besides, it's too expensive. And your insurance probably won't cover it. Like, oh, no, don't say those words. I, 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 I'm just bringing this up because you're talking about costs and things like that. Like, how predatory is the fire department? Like, are they sending collectors to their door, like, you know, you better pay up for this transport, the or do you guys that just that we now use does do that. Okay. So after a certain number, a certain amount of time, they, they write off the bill uh, to a collection agency. They now accept something like less than 50% of it and of what gets collected or something. Um, so they do write it off at a certain point and it will go to collections. And so these poor folks will face that. I mean, sometimes really poor people that have mm -hmm. no resources will then additionally have shit credit because they aren't because they're sent we used to do our own billing. It was nice because we could we could gift a lot of these things, and we would we'd write notes in our report that the patients were financially unable to pay, and we would just write every, write these things off. It was it was pretty great, but that went away. Um, one other thing I added in here is I like to document why I didn't do something because that will come up as well. Um, for instance. You are on a chest pain, and you did not give aspirin. And nowhere in your report does it say you gave aspirin. Um, and so you get a little email from Dr. Junk or, or Boyko. So why didn't you give aspirin? Well, we failed to mention in your report that the patient has an allergy uh, or allergic reaction to aspirin. Or patient says, or patient doesn't have any teeth, uh, will not chew the aspirin. Or patient refuses to take the aspirin or nitro. Um, like, uh, why didn't you start an IV on this patient? Well, the patient's an IV drug user and they have horrible veins and we are two minutes from the hospital and, you know, whatever the reason, it may be a dumb reason of some kind, but uh, I like to say, at least say, I'm thinking about these other interventions, but this is why I chose not to do them. Um, I realize they're in the protocol. Yeah. I gotta go next door for a minute. Sure. So yeah, if you're feeling like you're missing something that should be in that treatment plan, um, I talk about it. If I'm feeling like 
I am considering something. Um, okay. Like, maybe you guys are thinking that you got a sick patient that you're having a discussion with your medic partner about tubing this patient. And you get an email later that says, you know, why did you not take this person's airway? I like to talk about, hey, we had a discussion in the medic unit about intubation of this patient, but we elected not to because they were uh, hypertensive and, or hypotensive and tachycardic and felt the risk was too high or their anatomy looked uh, such that they would be a difficult intubation. Um, these things, it's not like, it's, you're not trying to get yourself out of jail, you're trying to basically just explain to the reader your thought process. And I think that's an important part of writing a report, especially when you get sick patients that are not your run-of-the-mill things. Uh, you want, to, I like to at least talk about what I'm thinking, uh, interventions we're discussing. And I'll have a report later that, that I do something to that nature, and I'll show you on a code that we had. Um, any questions about plan? And, and again, you'll see lots of different versions of this, and I encourage you to read reports um, from your preceptors and your, the partners that are on your rig as well, because um, you're not writing all the reports at this point. So get your hands on as many reports as you can and see how people do it differently. This is definitely not the only way. Um, these are just some things that I like to include. Um, apparently, Dr. Junk likes it because I, I'm, I'm a little more wordy than some people are, maybe. Um, um, so, and, but what that does translate to is a report that has more detail in it that, that leaves room for less question. And, and honestly, I get very, very little feedback because I think I write a lot of detail in my report. So questions like, hey, did you do this? Or, hey, did you do that? Because I'm pretty diligent about getting all my vital signs in there, try to get my second set of vital signs in there. Get all everything documented, um, and with medic partners now. Once 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 you're done being a medic student, I mean, you might only have maybe at most six, five, six reports and a shift to write, which which we're paid a lot of money. So if if it takes you 15 minutes to write a good report as opposed to five, spend the 15 minutes to write a good report because it'll it'll pay dividends later, right? Any questions uh, before we move on from there? Disposition comments, that's the last little section. Uh, that's, you will find that <clears throat> in the, uh, if you select treated and transferred, treated and transported, transport destination info. Oh, uh, no, it's actually under signatures. Disposition comments. You can throw a little something in there. Um, about how you, if, if it's not already in your plan, how you left the patient at the hospital. Sometimes I, a lot of times, if sometimes I don't say anything at all, sometimes it's like patient transported without complication to ED, left in room 18, super easy. Or it might be like patient became super combative on the way to the hospital, uh, telephone, St. Joe's for security and transferred them in soft restraints. Yeah. Not matters, but I always say I, because we usually more than our and our doctor. Mm -hmm. Just saying that transferred care to somebody of a 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is another thing uh, where you can be more uh, descriptive about leaving somebody at home. That's a great place after you get a signature. Um, and I'm a big fan. If you have, if if you're really not sure about something, to phone a friend, call the, the med control docs. I don't think it. Most of us do that nearly enough. I think we try to rely on our own experience. Um, but even things that are seemingly non-life-threatening, pretty benign, I've called and just got some really great advice. Um, and then that's a great place to put that in there that you consulted with Dr. Wykey or Dr. Junk and um, they recommended this or they were in agreement with our treatment plan. Uh, uh, so you might just say, hey, you know, I've got this patient and be real good. And when you're talking to the doctor, I've got this patient presenting with such, such and such and try to paint as clear as, as pictures you can um, uh, so that they can hopefully weigh in a little bit on, on the situation. If, you, if you're very vague about what's going on, they're not going to want to be comfortable. They're not, they don't want to be taking the liability for leaving somebody at home if they don't have enough information. They're going to want to just, eh, maybe they should come in. You know, so if, if you're really seeking to leave somebody at home, unless you get like, uh, what, Dr. Mung. <laughs> Sounds good. See you. Great job. <laughs> That's dead, man. That's dead, man. <laughs> so, and at the end of a code, you put that, yeah, I talked to such and such doctor uh, to ask permission to cease efforts. And patient left on scene in, in care of, Oh, BPD or Guadalcan County Sheriff's Office. Um, you or, put the quote, dead's dead. Dead's dead, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. ED docs dead. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, I, I just started kind of writing down incident numbers of my last few calls, so I won't say that these are like the highest level or reports I've ever written I can't but they're just I just can't, they're kind of random I did go pick through some that I found in uh, image trend that were a little more uh, <clears throat> comprehensive like a code report and such but we'll just go through a couple um, so I probably should have paid this is a great explanation here where I should have maybe put the patient's age I didn't do that it's in their description if you look at the full report, right? But it, it, reading this now, it'd be nice to talk about the age and gender, right? I know this is an old guy at the senior center. So staff at the senior center called 911 after observing patient to be having a coughing fit presenting with cyanosis around his lips. Patient states, our staff states that they're familiar with this patient. He's usually very talkative, but today presents much different than baseline. So in that sentence, you get a picture of what the patient's normally like, right? And which is also really important when you assess people in their homes is you really got to nail down what's normal for this patient because a lot of times you'll come see these patients and think, man, this, this person's really screwed up. And then you come out and find out that, oh, that they normally talk like this when they had a stroke two years ago or, um, you know, they're normally, just find out what's normal, okay? Um, so right away we know this patient is 
<clears throat> different from the then baseline. Patient has been present at senior center for approximately 15 minutes. Denies any complaints, specifically denies chest pain, shortness of breath, or recent illness. However, a patient appears to be mildly altered LOC as not answering questions thoroughly or completely. So I've, I didn't, there's not a whole lot of specific like pertinent negatives in there, descriptors in there, but we also know that he's an altered LOC patient and he's not answering questions thoroughly. So the reader might go, oh, how come you're not describing more? Well, it's because he's not, He's a difficult, you can say he's a difficult historian or, or, or not compliant with questions or you can't, do you kind of get a feel for what this patient's like a little bit? Just like an old guy, he's not, he's not, he's not cooperating super well. Um, we know he's diabetic, he's got AFib and don't know much else. So patient found seated at table, alert to person and place, but otherwise seems moderately confused. Patient has persistent cough that seems to be generated from his upper airway with occasional production of stomach contents. It's lovely. Patient does not appear to be in respiratory stress, but rather appears to have possibly aspirated. When transferring patient from seated position to gurney, patient requires significant assistance, secondary to weakness. So he's cough and sputter and he's got decreased LOC, he's too weak to stand and get on the gurney. So, sounds like a patient needs to go to the hospital, right? So, we go down, we got our assessment. Pearl, uh, pearls equal round, reactive to light, conjunctiva pink, conjugate gaze, tongue's dry, speech is clear, clear lung sounds bilaterally, difficult to hear due to background noise. Mm. And, there's all kinds of reasons where you're not going to get good lung sounds, um, whether it's noise or clothes or, yeah. Conjugate uh, gaze? It means they're, disconjugate would mean like if they're, they're not tracking uh, with one eye. Uh, may, it might be an indication of like stroke symptoms or. Yeah. Conjugate gaze, you can't track. Yeah. Their eyes move together. Yeah. Uh, abdomen mildly distended, obese, no pain with palpation, extremities, weak grips bilaterally, but moves arms purposefully, pedal edema bilaterally, appears chronic, uh, EKG atrial fibrillation. We didn't do a 12 lead. Oh, sorry, this is skipping around here. Oh boy. Impression, aspiration slash infection. Exam, patient, or plan, patient exam, vital signs, move patient to the gurney slash ambulance, ECG, transport St. Joe's. Patient, and then I say, patient had two more episodes of spitting up stomach contents, coughing during transport, patient able to clear his airway effectively. Uh, I don't think I put a final disposition on that one. Okay, here's another call, syncope. Uh, after getting up from couch and walking approximately 10 feet across the room, patient witnessed to have fallen backwards to carpeted floor, followed by a reduced level of consciousness for several minutes. Um, so what do we know by that first sentence? that we know how the syncope occurred, right? It occurred after a positional change. Um, we know how far it took them to get across the room before they fell. I talk about a carpeted floor, because that's per pertinent, right? Because we don't, the reader doesn't know if this is a hardwood floor, concrete floor, if it's on the grass. Um, so if you're thinking about trauma and head injury and things like that, that that's pertinent. Uh, patient then crawled back over to the couch after a few minutes of uh, unconsciousness or reduced level of consciousness uh, and vomited several times. Gross. Patient states that he was dizzy. <laughs> Were you on, with me on this call? This is the he, she guy that we kept calling a...
prior to the fall, so this might just be a blood pressure issue, right? Um, it, and if you guys are familiar with the term orthostatic hypotension, where you, know, you stand up and, and well, yeah, obviously, you're, that's why we take orthostatic vitals, right? Um, but maybe she just gotten he just gotten to the point where the tank was so low that was unable to compensate. Blood pressure tanks, pass out, get nauseated. Okay, denies chest pain, palpitations, shortness of breath, diaphoresis, recent illness, diarrhea, vomiting, blood and stool. Okay, let's talk about the pertinent negatives. I'm thinking about cardiac stuff. There's no chest pain. I'm th palpitations. I'm thinking, is there any kind of arrhythmia? Um, AFib, SVT, PVCs that they might feel, um, shortness of breath, okay, did they become short of breath at all, diaphoresis, um, recent illness kind of leads to maybe just overall dehydration, um, <coughs> diarrhea, are they dehydrated from just going to the bathroom, vomiting, um, blood and stool, so are they bleeding internally? Are they losing fluids somehow, right? Um, so that you can kind of track with what questions I'm asking. We've got a syncable patient, right? So, um, patient receives all his medications through service portioned out, does not know what he takes specifically, but it says he takes meds for hypertension, diabetes mellitus, and depression. Patient found supine on couch, conscious alert oriented, speaking complete sentences, and no obvious distress or discomfort. While taking postural vital signs, the patient becomes increasingly dizzy and lightheaded. So, exam is fairly unremarkable. <clears throat> On labored respirations, apparently I didn't listen to long sounds. You guys should do that. <laughs> uh, no abdominal pain with palpations. It's moving all their extremities. Uh, normal sinus rhythm, 12 lead, no SG changes, T wave inversions or QT uh, uh, abnormalities. Um, so my impression is that they're hypovolemic and what the vitals would show is I think there was a standing pressure of like 70 or something like a like big, big, big swing in blood pressure. So our plan, patient exam, ECG, 12 lead, postural vital signs. We assist patient at the gurney. Uh, an ambulance, IV attempt times three without success. Wah, wah. Uh, transport to St. Joe's without incident. That's super fun when you know somebody needs a treatment and you just poking them several times and, and then, then you haul them into the hospital and you know you're not really doing anything for them but give them a ride. <laughs> yeah. Still happens to us. It'll happen to you. I.O. No, no. <laughs> I've done that. I'll not do it again. Yeah, yeah. So I would say uh, I've got a, a stable, I don't know, seventy-year-old male uh, with reported syncopal episode and then consciousness of a or decreased level of consciousness for approximately three minutes, uh, followed by vomiting. Patient now presenting with no complaints. Denies chest pain, shortness of breath. Uh, we got a normal EKG, normal sinus rhythm, no ST changes. We got vital signs that are blah 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 blah. Um, I would call out with uh, postural changes of this and this standing position. Um, we failed IV attempt. Patients uh, supine on the gurney, resting comfortably. We'll be there in five minutes. So, just something like that. Just no. you talk about what you what you what you're what you're there for, what you observed. You're, you always kind of close with your vital signs and then your treatment. 
So this is a bit of a sticky wicket, and I don't, I don't mean to put you under recording or anything, but you have a patient whose gender is questionable, mm -hmm. and it is medically significant, obviously, right? What what their gender is uh, in the end. Not for you. Not for us. I, I've I've seldom found it. Uh, super pertinent that you absolutely have to know. I mean, you might just ask them how they choose to identify, uh, and it, it it might be kind of awkward. But sometimes it's, you know, it's just they're they're pretty comfortable with it. And yeah, I mean, we're not usually exposing and examining anybody. Uh, there might be times when you're asking like, it, it might be significant in your questioning. Um, but like, say for instance, you've got a, a a man or something that identifies as a woman that's presenting with abdominal pain, and you're thinking, is this some kind of reproductive issue? Is this, uh, you know, ectopic pregnancy or things like that? You probably find it pretty quickly in the questioning. Any chance you're pregnant? <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. Uh, but for the most part, it's not been an issue for me. Has it been an issue for you? The biggest thing is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes you don't know. So that. <laughs> My partner, it's Rob. Clear where, where on. Doing okay? Yeah. We'll go through some more. This was a patient that passed out in the Barnes & Noble bookstore. And we left her on scene. Um, so this is a, a, a decent one for uh, leave on scene type of thing. Okay. Um, patient was shopping in bookstore when she became began to experience gradual onset of intense upper midline abdominal 6 slash 10 pain described as a spasm type pain. So again, we talked about that earlier where you have a lot of qualifiers in that first sentence where you just, there's a lot of descriptors. She says it's intense. That might have been her descriptor word. Um, well, she says spasm too. Where it is, the, the severity, um, and how it came on and what she was doing. So we know all of that from the first sentence. Patient then described feeling very poorly and required assistance from store staff to help lower her to the ground. So she didn't pass out, she didn't fall, she was lowered down. Pain lasts approximately five minutes before resolving completely. Patient denies shortness of breath, chest pain, recent illness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bleeding, previous abdominal problems, or similar past episodes. Patient states that she, I should say drank, a coffee on an empty stomach, which she does not normally do. So maybe here... GI just got in a big knot and she had vagled out from abdominal pain. Who knows? Feels that this may be related. She takes her history, she takes probiotics for digestion. So we find her seated on the floor next to the cash register at the bookstore. Typo. Patient is conscious, alert, and oriented, speaking complete sentences and no obvious distress or discomfort. Patient able to move to standing position without further complaint and walks to the ambulance for additional assessment. Uh, skin, heat, chest, okay, pain, We've got, uh, extremities, initially complains of tingling in her hands, but that resolves, patient removes all extremities, moves all extremities appropriately, limited range of motion of both arms, secondary to non-recent rotator cuff surgeries. So we do have some limitation movement, but we qualify it by why. There's a previous existing condition. Uh, ECG, nor normal sinus rhythm, no ST changes, T wave inversions, normal QT interval, Impression, transient abdominal pain causing near syncope. That's what I thought. 
Vital signs, patient exam, postural vital signs with minor change. Patient walked to ambulance for ECG analysis, repeat vital signs. Patient expresses multiple times that she does not want to go to the hospital. Some convincing is required to get patient to allow ECG. Patient did not want further help slash treatment. Left ambulance to proceed in her car on her errands. Advise patient to call back should symptoms return and seek follow-up care with her primary, uh, or primary phys physician regardless. To kind of get a feel for what happened there, right? I think we got a refusal of care. She states she doesn't want to go multiple times. We, we talked about how we kind of had to convince her to just get some further evaluation. Um, so with that and with our signature, I think we're pretty well covered, right? Had there been something super out of the ordinary, like a EKG changes or a vital sign that was really suggestive of something and she still went, I think I would document that even further saying, uh, explain to patient that she had EKG changes that were uh, um, suggestive of acute coronary syndrome or and that she needed to see an emergency room right away patient is informed and decides to do otherwise you know yeah anything to add in that no one Todd tells you you go to the hospital remember the guy at the shopping center that you and Malay were like she might die if you stay here and you refused oh you yeah want to take a nap treatment oh right and <laughs> yeah we yeah we coded him in the morning <laughs> Yep. Here's another leave on scene. Uh, 97 year old male. Hey, see, I got it that time. Transient chest pain. So he's a retirement home, gets this kind of transient chest pain episode. He resides in an assisted living facility. This morning, patient was sitting in his recliner when he states that he experienced a sudden onset of sharp substernal chest painting or chest pain radiating to both arms that lasted approximately 15 minutes and resolved prior to EMS arrival. Again, you get a lot from that sentence, right? You get all those qualifiers in there. What he was doing, how long it lasted, did it radiate? You got your OPQRST stuff in there. Maybe it's not totally complete, but you get the idea. Um, patient states that chest pain seemingly increased with respiration. Additionally, patient states that he had mild shortness of breath consistent with his normal shortness of breath. So he has shortness of breath, Again, that's, it's important to find out what's normal for patients, right? Like, are you short of breath? Is that, is that abnormal for you? Some people will tell you, they're, they're, you ask them in seven days a week, any hour of the day, are you short of breath? They'll say yes. So, so then you, you don't find that until halfway you're transporting to the hospital for shortness of breath. And then, oh, yeah, I'm always short of breath. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> um, so no recent illness, vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, he's had similar episodes in, uh, of this pain in the past, but said that this episode lasted longer than normal. Um, I probably could have said something about his, did he have any cardiac history? I didn't put that in there. Um, with 97 year old patients, I get a little less jumpy about whether or not they go to the hospital too. I mean, I mean honestly, you're 97. People, we, yeah, we're, more, we're mortal beings, and at some point, you know, I'm happy to let people make decisions uh, about how they want to finish out their time here. Um, exam, uh, ECG, first degree block with intermittent atrial fibrillation, no ST changes, T-way and blah, blah, blah. Okay, impression, transient chest pain, 
of unknown etiology. I don't know what caused it. Could have been cardiac, could have been gas, could have been whatever. Vital signs, history, patient exam, ECG 12 lead, discussed findings with patient and conveyed that the cause of his chest pain was unknown. Recommended that he should say seek further evaluation. That's the one problem with uh, dictation is that it will, if you don't go back and read, it'll, uh, yeah. So, so these are all written with the Dragon software, and that's like where things become like drinking A and like mi very minor typos. Or is it pretty? Is it pretty accurate deal? Or? Um, whatever iPod iPad uses is that Dragon software. I don't know. I don't the know. The thing you can talk into is no. So on your do you write on an iPad? You will. Is it possible to write? It is. You can. We have keyboards for the for the iPads. So you can Bluetooth them together. So I did that for a long time, and then I just got tired of it. Um, it's nice when there's a lot of background noise, and you and you're a good typer. Um, and I'm a pretty decent typer, but I, I find that this is still quicker. The best way, if you want to dictate these on an iPad, is to get in the rig, close the doors where there's not a lot of background noise that can kind of get in the way with it interpreting what you're saying. Speak very clearly. Uh, and and kind of at a moderate pace, um, so you might say vital signs, comma history, comma patient exam, comma ECG slash twelve lead period. Discussed findings with patient and conveyed that the cause of the chest pain was unknown. Colon. So about that cadence seems to work pretty well. You'll find that certain words it gets really screwed up on. So if you if you know you got a word that's a little tricky, just be careful to enunciate it very well, like over-enunciate it, and it usually does a pretty good job. Um, so patient states he would like to stay at home. Advise patient to call back should he experience symptoms again. Patient left on scene in care of assisted facility staff. Patient indicates that he's feeling normal again and is without complaint. Um, if this was not a 97-year-old patient, I might say that we recommended that he be evaluated further. Um, and you know this guy's a Battle of the Bulge, World War II veteran, and he's, he's just awesome. Um, you didn't do a refusal. Um, I think we did a accept treatment, refuse transport on this guy. He's not afraid to stay home. No. <clears throat> uh, he ended up calling back later in the shift. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have gone. <laughs> yep. You got to see him again. Yep. <laughs> Not me. Thank you. Not me. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see here. This is. Uh... Okay. Is, is that a metric that is uh, tracked? You, you go see someone and stay at home and call back. Is that, I know that's tracked with the hospital, right? If they're released. Mm. I don't know. We call those rekindles. Um, <laughs> the hospital tracks it when they release somebody and they come right back. Like uh -huh. the same complaint because it's not good for them. But I mean, they become frequent flyers for Joe if they call too much. Mm -hmm. you know? Or if you're saying we leave them on scene. And they yeah. Come back. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to really qualify what patient that is. You know, is this a is this your 97 year old war veteran that never calls 911, or is it the, somebody that keeps calling because they're not getting what they want? Typically for us, like if you offered like, hey, you should go, go, you know? Yeah. He's like, nah, I'm not going. But then if he calls back again. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You might say, hey, promise me if, if this comes back again that next time we're taking you in. I'm not going to take no for an answer, you know. And then they'll be like, yeah, okay, all right, you know. But, um, okay, uh, this is a little uh, lady lives by herself. She's got a sudden onset of AFib. Patient complains of sudden onset of atrial fibrillation while at rest this evening, starting at approximately 7 o'clock with associated 4 out of 10 chest pain. I didn't qualify that very well. Patient took a flecainide pill at eight o'clock after not recent, which is kind of a it's a cardiac medication that will it's, it, it prevents atrial fibrillation arrhythmias. So she's hoping that would work, but it's been an hour now and it hasn't worked. After not experiencing any relief, patient called 911 just after 9 p.m. So two hours. Upon arrival of EMS, patient states that her chest pain is resolved. Maybe that's why I didn't explore it much further. Patient denies shortness of breath, nausea, diaphoresis, recent illness. Patient states that she's had multiple trips to the emergency room for similar episodes and has been cardioverted in the past. Patient is scheduled for a pacemaker implant in two days due to recent history of syncopal episodes. So a pretty stable patient at this point, but she's got AFib that's like 130 to 170 or something like that. So, um, blah, blah, blah. I don't have a very good assessment on this one either. Finds patient seated on a couch being complete sentence, no obvious distress or discomfort. Okay, pretty, pretty stable patient. ECG, two to one A flutter, 12 lead shows T wave inversions and one in AVL with no ST changes, normal QT. Um, impression is A flutter with intermittent AFib. Patient exam, vital signs, ECG, 12 lead, move patient to the gurney, ambulance via gurney, IV attempt times three before slash during transport without success, yes. <laughs> Heart rate slows gradually during transport, probably because she vagled down for me poking her, um, and, and settles around 130. Patient resting comfortably during transport with no further complaint continues to deny further chest pain. So, kind of as a caveat that, you know, we didn't do any other interventions. My plan was to possibly give her a calcium channel blocker to help slow her down, but it turns out you can't do that without an IV. <laughs> so, super fun. Okay, this was an interesting call that Matt and I were on, cardiac arrest, uh, up at Galbraith. Patient is riding his bicycle with a friend at Galbraith Mountain was witnessed to have collapsed at the bottom of a trail. Dispatch reports that friend initially thought patient was having a stroke, then was said to have stopped breathing while on the phone with 911. Telephone CPR initiated. First arriving crew, aid 28, arrives to find bystander CPR described as effective. Aid 28 reports giving two minutes of CPR followed by shock advised, shock delivered, uh, followed by a second two minute round of CPR where patient observed to have changes in level of consciousness and moaning. CPR stopped and pulse detected, pulse described as very fast. Medic two arrives at this time. So a little bit different, a little bit different scenario, right? And, and clearly this patient's not able to tell us anything about what happened, but we know a little bit about what happened. We know that the, the arrest was witnessed by his friend. Sounds like he was a little more conscious when 911 first started. He might have been in V-fib and V-tac, we don't know, but at least because he says, I think he's having a stroke, and then, oh crap, he's not breathing. So this all happened. We know that CPR was started right away, and that we know that the CPR looked to be effective 
as reported by Aid 28. So those doctors, they, they really love to look at these reports because they want to look at survivability. They want to look at downtime. All this stuff is super important to them um, when they make decisions about how they treat the patient, uh, if they're going to uh, put this patient through uh, permissive hypothermia protocol, um, that sort of thing. Okay. So we arrive. We find uh, patient supine, diaphoretic, deep, seemingly effective moaning respirations. Uh, initial look at ECG show, shows V-fib. Initiated manual CPR. So we were told this patient had a pace or had a pulse, and he probably did up until about 30 seconds before we got there. In which case, he went back into V-fib. So pulseless. We don't know how long he's been in, in V-fib. So we started CPR. Um, Stopped after one minute as patient was seemingly making purposeful movement. V-fib recognized on, this is kind of a weird, as you think of ACLS, this, this, this one was messes with your brain a little bit. So I tried to explain what we saw and what, why we did what we did. Uh, normally you'd do your, your two minutes regardless, but this guy's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's like half, half alive, you know, and it just, does, just doesn't feel right. This is manual, this is not even Lucas device stuff yet. Uh, so we see V-fib, uh, we defibrillated 200 joules, attempted second round of CPR with Lucas device, because remember after we shocked, we're supposed to go right back into CPR. Um, Post-defibrillation, patient has painful response with each compression. CPR stopped and patient found to be with strong pulse, blood pressure obtained, patient moved to gurney and ambulance for immediate transport. <laughs> I like the way you did it, put that there. What? I mean, being able to define that, hey, we're causing pain to this guy. He does have a pulse because, yeah, we're, we're definitely trained to continue two minutes of CPR after our shock. Yeah. So I do I appreciate your, your description. And I knew it was outside kind of the standard operation of how we treat cardiac arrest, right? We're just supposed to just do two minutes. But for some reason, we were like, no, we need to stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you understand why we stopped. I tried to paint that picture. So if I didn't qualify that some way, you'd be like, well, why did you guys not do two minutes of CPR? Um, so now you know. Okay. Uh, and, and this is a little bit different than how I structured this report because the whole thing, the codes just go a little bit different. Um, you, you might not get to the full exam. Maybe, you, you know, that's why I put this one in here. ECG findings, post-defibrillation, patient is in irregular fast narrow tachycardia with ectopy. His rate was like, like almost 200, 190 after, uh, uh, but he had a pulse with that. Um, so then you're thinking, okay, do we cardiovert this? N no, let's just get him in the rig and see what happens. Because uh, I don't think, had we given epi at that point? Is right at the top of uh, uh, right at the dog patch, yeah, the two thousand road. It's like perfect. We were able to drive right to him. Yeah. So rhythm becomes more regular and continually slows until a rate of approximately one hundred and twenty with intermittent bigeminy. Twelve lead shows possible inferior ST depression. Difficult to interpret interpret due to bigeminal PVCs. He had lots of artifact and it was not a really great twelve lead. Uh, amiodarone was drawn up but not administered. The patient had no further recurrences of VFVT and rhythm seemed to be stabilizing. So, uh, VFib, VTAC arrest, you should be given amiodarone, which is an antiarrhythmic. We've, there's been lots of debate over the years of 
after somebody gets return of spontaneous circulation, should you give it? Um, we discussed it, and this is why I didn't. Uh, Emily says I should have. She would like us to. So at least, and, and that's the only thing she kind of mentioned at the end of this. And, and it turns out, like, when we got to the hospital and the cardiologist was asked, do you want to give him amiodarone? They said, nope. So I felt okay. It's not like... I did anything to harm him. We had it ready and drawn up should, should things change, and, and I, I feel like we were on it. But, um, again, one of those kind of weird debatable things, right? So, anyway, that kind of explains my reasoning. Versed and Rocky both drawn up in anticipation of uh, endotracheal, tube, endo, uh, endotracheal tube. But patient began lifting his head up and making purposeful movement. At that point, we're like, and he was, he was kind of a thousand yard stare out of it. It's like, hold on, okay, we're not going to paralyze this guy because we got some neurologic status. I kind of want the docs to see this. You know, he's he's got a patent airway, um, so med med control, I'm calling it. So he says, do not intubate. But I think he just didn't think we could intubate. So I think yeah, which he probably he got a. Oh yeah, he got a tube. But I think it was valuable for them to see his neurologic status. Yeah. I think everybody was appreciative of that. So during transport, patient level of consciousness improved to the point he's able to obey simple commands, but predominantly has absent stare. Patient continually lifting his head off the gurney and looking around and flexing his upper extremities. It was, it was totally weird. So we transitioned from high flow non-rebreather to room air during transport. Again, we don't want to hyperoxygenate patients. He's got return of circulation. We want to limit how we don't want to saturate them with oxygen. So um, he dipped down to 92%, so we titrated with a nasal cannula up to 95. Patient to bed 14 with final vital signs. And I don't normally put vital signs in here, but I wanted to put this is what he had when he arrived at the bedside. So um, documented, this is what he looks like, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially with the tube, it's important to document like maybe end tidal breath sounds so that they don't blame you later when that tube is dislodged uh, and they find out an hour later if the patient codes and you know it's because they pulled it out when they moved him or something you know so um, that guy went home three days later. Yeah, he was like 55 years old. Two kids, small world, man. His son played soccer with my nephew. I was at a soccer game like two days later, standing next to his wife. Wow. So, Dude. super cool. Did he have Great story. Or? He had a massive LAD occlusion, so uh, Widowmaker. Wow. Yeah, that just didn't show up much on the 12 lead, but he had been having chest pain for like a week and a half. Heartburn, home. Heartburn yeah. His wife's oh, like, you gotta, you gotta check that out. You gotta check that out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got one more report. You guys good here? This next one, she, she died. Patient resides at Spring Creek Retirement Assisted Living Care. Staff report that they witnessed patient to have had a sudden onset of weakness where she became very pale, had a blank stare, clutched her chest, 
with resulting respiratory distress. The patient was moved to a chair where she had a brief reduced level of consciousness slumping forward. The patient denies chest pain, recent surgery, fractures, history of DVT or blood clot, PE history or MI. What am I ruling out there by my pertinent negatives? Yeah, turns out she had a massive clot. Um, patient is generally distressed and cannot verbalize what is wrong with her. So not a, not a very good, so you're not going to get much information out of her. Patient found seated in chair in hallway with rapid respiration, very anxious and pale skin. Patient is able to speak and answer questions, but is having trouble verbalizing what is wrong with her. Pale, pale conjunctiva, pearl, clear, clear and equal lung sounds. Remember, PEs can be those, uh, don't, don't confuse those with your hyperventilators. It's the biggest BLS mistake. Make sure, that, yeah, hyperventilators have, what, clear lung sounds, low end tidal, what are the SATs? High SAT. High SAT. PEs have clear lung sounds, low end tidal, low SATs. Um, sometimes it's like 93, 94 which a lot of people are like, oh, 93, 94, that's a good SAT. Yeah, it's a good SAT if you're 93 or if you have COPD, but you and I should have SATs above 95%, particularly if we're breathing at a rate of 30 or 40 times a minute, right? So that's where you're diving into the history and, and seeing uh, uh, what, what kind of risk factors are there. Um, so I ruled out pulmonary embolus. Plan, patient exam, vital signs, ECG, high flow O2, increases SAT to 94%. Uh, no history of lung disorder uh, reported. Um, that's a qualifier because you'd think somebody with normal, healthy lungs should, if they're exchanging oxygen properly, achieve good SATs. And the only reason they're going to have a sudden low SAT like that is there's something terribly wrong, right? Um, so we're, we're, we're ruling out COPDs and asthmas and things like that. They don't typically present suddenly like that, right? Um, IV, 12 lead EKG, report to Saint, transport to St. Joe's. Patient has a valid DNR form indicating no CPR and comfort measures only. Patient decompensated during transport with increasing heart rate, frequent cardiac ectopy, and decreasing blood pressure. Patient with Discussed with patient her pulse form and confirmed that she did not wish to have life-saving measures performed. Comfort care continued and patient expired shortly after the delivery to the hospital. So, yeah. If she had died in the ambulance, what's your... The call EMS1 and make it their problem. <laughs> Honestly. Exactly right. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I've not had that happen on me yet because I'm that good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am not that good. It's going to happen today. It's just... It's just like... <laughs> yeah, you should put a little uh, little music before that, and here's what Todd says right here. I'm not good. Yeah, no. No, uh, I can promise you that was not why. It's just lucky. Um, yeah, yeah. I've had plenty die right after we get through the doors. Yeah, yeah. And That's my preference. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of them have been pulmonary embolus, so just something to be considered. Um, a little side note, I got some heat from 
the nurses at the ED for even bringing this patient because comfort care. Oh, it's a comfort care. Why are you guys bringing this patient here? I mean, what are we going to do for him? I'm like, okay, so I've got a patient with a sudden onset of acute issue. Did you well, say comfort care? I did. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it says it on his paper. I know. You guys can provide comfort care. And I'm honestly, I'm not going to hang around her apartment waiting for her to die just so I can give her Versed and morphine or you know, Dilaudid when I don't know if she's going to die. You know, so... Just like, all right, well, we'll be right here. Well, that, and that, that, that is, you might find yourself in that position where somebody is dying. I think, yeah. I think Willie's had that happen, right? And yeah. where he's given, and that's totally appropriate given the circumstance, but. He, like, control. Yeah, and it might be a, a, like a hospice, especially a hospice type situation or somebody's, if, you know, maybe they called us instead of hospice or hospice was unavailable or, um, yeah, or if you see somebody in a rhythm that's just not compatible with life, they're, v, they're in VF or VTAC and they don't want defibrillation or CPR, but, yeah. But we can use medications as comfort? With medical control, I would definitely get a doc's weigh-in anytime you're, you're doing that, absolutely though. I think that's, that's the humane thing to do, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Sullivan at Ferndale's last seat, he was giving a lecture on palliative care mm. and talked about that, how we may be called into those situations more and more because more and more people are going into hospice, so hospice is becoming less and less available. So it may, especially in our area, it may take hours for a hospice nurse to get there. So we may be called into those situations, but he said medical control is a must and yeah. let them know the situation, let them make the final decision on that so that we're yeah. not out of our scope of practice or anything like that. For sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't, like I said before, I'd encourage you to call med control anytime there's gray areas and you're, and you're just not confident. I think you will, it's better to have that scenario than to go back to quarters and it's two in the morning and you're, you can't sleep because you're thinking about you, whether or not you made the right decision, you know. So definitely peace of mind is, is invaluable. And those, they, they have a lot more experience and, you know, even if they can't help, it at least might provide some kind of direction. But, um, so those are the reports I brought. They're by no means perfect. They're not all the same, but they all kind of generally follow, with, except with the exception of the code. They all follow a similar outline. Um, let's see here. You guys probably want another break. It's been an hour again. So I don't really have anything else to add. We, I'm certainly happy to talk about more report writing things on Image Trend if you guys want to dive into like little features and that and things that I use that, yeah, that maybe that. Chris. So take a short break and we'll keep talking. I want to poke around here and uh, just going through this here. So dispatch info, we all know to load CAD information. Uh, one quick note is when you guys are transferring or getting a transfer report from somebody else, uh, make sure you download your own CAD information because if you don't, it'll import the CAD information from their unit. So if, say, you're getting something from Aid 1, you'll get the times from Aid 1. Um, so you need to make sure you get your times, and then your times, whatever you put in on your report will supersede whatever is uploaded or downloaded. 
Yeah. So say like when you first open this, you'll go to CAD and pull up the report that you want. Yeah, it'll it'll say you, you'll find whatever you're dispatched to, medic one, in the address. And, and then, then after that, there's the tab up there that says like transfers, and it has like a one in parentheses. Is that what you would click on to receive nope. your transfer? No. Uh, you just go to either upload or download transfer. So. You upload a transfer if you're sending something to somebody because you're putting it up in the cloud for them to grab. Okay. Yep. So if you want to pull a report from somebody, you hit download transfer. Okay. okay. Um, now, and then it'll show you all the, all the transfers that are kind of up in the cloud right now. And like once one has been pulled, it's not available for download. No, it's, I, think, I believe it stays up there. Stays up. Yeah. Yeah, you can go back and get it again. What you will run into sometimes is if, see here this thing that says call sign? If, if it's, say you're on Medic 1 or something like that. Um, um, and they sent it to Medic 1, sometimes it won't show up in your queue. It's best, I think they, he must have defaulted this to go to all, because it used to have to go back to that and select all for, and, and then you would just kind of get a list of all the transfers that are in the cloud currently from whatever time frame. So right now it's from January 8th to January 9th, that's what's available. All call signs, all units, uh, so you'll see. So there's really not much up in the cloud right now. Um, I, don't, I forget how long he said they're there, but. If you're having trouble finding it, it, it used to be because they didn't download their CAD information, so there was no like identifier on the piece of paper, and it was kind of a nightmare. But anyway, it should be pretty evident. It should be there if they sent it to you. As long as you get your call sign and unit sign set to all, you should see everything and just select the unit address and you'll be good to go. Um, and then what will happen is you'll go over to, if they've entered vital signs and things, you come over here to timeline, and it'll show, oh, like, okay, there's a new set of vital signs that populated. Instead of my initials on there, see, um, it'll show whoever created the, the timeline. It'll be the EMT, and it'll show you what time they had given, if they put a time. If there's no time, then you need to approximate when those vital signs were collected. So I usually will look at this kind of timeline here and see, okay, well, aspirins, that's way out of whack. It's, it, you know, maybe it wasn't given on the ninth, or maybe it was given five minutes after I arrived, and I'll go adjust the time like I showed you. I don't know that I can download any CAD information on here without screwing with what's happening out in the world, so I'm not going to download actual CAD numbers because um, I don't want to mess with somebody's actual report, but probably be fine. But Okay, um, yeah. There's like a ton of like little, little things that you can document, like splitting, splinting, like we give them a hot pack or a cold pack. Do you worry about any of that stuff? Or you just I write it. Move, write it and move on with your I don't know if Rob would agree, but you'll get lost in the weeds with all that yeah. drop-down menu stuff. Yeah. If you want to document that. I'm, you might document like I used, like for whatever equipment you used, you might say <laughs> Sam Splint or something like that. There might be some value in tracking equipment usage and things like that. Um, but in terms of like, you know, we wrapped somebody's arm with Coban and, and you know, uh, four by four, you can go select 
four by four and bleeding control and all that. I mean, it's just. <sighs> no, nobody does. Yeah, just write it out. Write what you did. It, it's. You're already in a narrative writing things out in a flow that makes sense, and for you to keep skipping over to something like that and try to find all the damn checkboxes that apply to what you're trying to put in there is really frustrating. And then you gotta like rectify the time time stamp with it and all that stuff. You're like, oh my gosh, it's just stupid. Okay, uh, so this. Um, so it's right here on the side, and it's just like any other intervention. Do you do this for every IV? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have to do that, and you write who did it, when you did it. Um, yeah. Any of the big procedures, um, you should, yeah. So I don't know how you differentiate like documentable ones versus not, but generally I would say anything, any ALS type interventions that you're doing definitely document over on the timeline. Um, IV gives you, you know, sites for different places you're going to put an IV, how many attempts, and it's pretty, you can go through these pretty quick. Yeah. In your report site where you stated, uh, you, you know, three IV attempts failed, yeah. do you also do <clears throat> yep. Yep. I do document failed attempts because that that stats. Anything you document with the drop-down menus is trackable. Um, it's really important to document innovations because you can search how many innovations you've done. You can, I mean, um, Chris can go look at how many IVs you started over the course of your year here. How many? What your success rate was. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, so anything that's trackable that you want to be tracked, um, that should be tracked, should all be captured in those drop-down menus. Yeah. Since this is queryable information, does this contribute to your recertification standards? Well, like it, if they want to find out, like, do you yeah, it's two, it's the documentation that proves you did what you did. Okay. Yeah, and you do need a certain and amount of. another reason that yeah, you love it. All your IVs, all your intubations, anything like that, you need to have in here. We're required a certain amount of IOs. Yeah. Do you guys ever go to the situations button? So just below the timeline is the situations button, and that's like a, a, a condensed area where you'll find a lot of inter interventions in one spot. And the, the reason that they're there is that you can just click buttons, and it'll just add interventions to your timeline. Um, and what we'll do, we'll just go back and do, okay. So we did, I don't typically, if I've uploaded a 12 lead from the, from the uh, monitor, it does it for you, so you don't need to add an additional one here, okay? So don't, don't hit that if you're already uploading something. Um, but, uh, and say you started an IV, oh, hey, we, this person got an IO too. Um, and we gave him aspirin, we gave him D10, these are all the medications. Oh, these are narcotics. Uh, let's give them some fentanyl. Um, 
and let's decompress their chest. Yeah, so then when you go back to your timeline, it has all these things in red, and now you have to go back and fill in the qualifiers for those. So that just gives the basic outline of that intervention, and then you just go. Yeah, so now I need to go, okay, I, just, I started an IV. It wasn't at 1131. It was actually at, it was actually at uh, 1031, okay? So now I got my time there. It was not performed prior to the unit's care, so it already fills out vein access because that's what the, the button was for. Um, uh, left AC, say we did a 18 gauge IV, it took us two attempts. IV flush easily, yes. Uh, you might, at the end, it'll say procedure successful. Success, yes or no. So if you totally, if it took two attempts and you missed, um, then you'd say no, but we could say yeah. Did it improve? Sure. Maybe it didn't, maybe it's unchanged, maybe it's worsened. Any complications? Um, hopefully you're not having a bunch of these complications from uh, an IV start. They got hy both hyperthermic, no, they didn't get hyperthermic. Um, and any, comp any, if there's anything pertinent you want to add for comments on that. Uh, now what I will say is what I typically do is if I, if I try a spot in the left AC and I miss, then I put that as one IV start and with a failed attempt, and then I might, and if I have another one in the hand, I'll put that as a, as a separate um, intervention that failed or, or was successful, because you're, you're talking about two different sites, and sometimes it's with two different sized needles, um, so it's a good way to specify and just kind of track what you're doing. Um, yeah? It seems really handy for real time, but in, in practice, how often are you No, so never. The, I shouldn't say never, but sometimes you, your partner might just be clicking. So, are you? I mean, are you taking these notes on written paper on your glove or which how, which notes? Versed uh, given at eleven fifty-five. Uh, I would encourage you to write it down, or if there's several people in the ambulance um, in the back, you know, if you're giving Versed, you might have a more sick patient, which means you'll have extra hands. Um, and especially as students, now you're, the, you're in the third person role, you always have a medic back there with you. Um, so it might be that you do incorporate this iPad more um, for real time uh, recording. I mean, it's not, it certainly wouldn't be a bad habit to get into because then you don't have to go back and rectify all the times later. You can, you just know, okay, I. Even if you just hit the, the go to the, your situations here and just go, okay, IV, click the IV, uh, hit Versed, hit the Versed, then, then it's there, right? Then you can go back and fix it. Mm -hmm. Same thing when you're on a, on a code and you're monitor and you want to record certain timestamps of like, I gave amiodarone here or epi here, you can hit the event button. And, and select whatever intervention you gave, and, and, and it'll put a timestamp in the monitor, which then will show up when you download the EKG information, which is really nice because if you're doing, if you get in the habit of doing that on a code, then you don't have to try to adjust all your epi administrations later. It's all there. So, 
And that'll show up in the same way that these mm -hmm. are showing up. Where it'll show it up just, up red yeah, it'll off. show just like that. And it links it to a, an intervention. So yeah, when you do it after the fact, you do have to go in and mess around with the times and, and it may not be perfect. I wish they had little plus or minus arrows where you could kind of just move them up and down or if you could drag and drop them, but they haven't gotten there yet. You have to go back and forth between the screens. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you just mentioned this, but, um, or, no, I think I've seen people like say like, hey, did you get that FE or something on the light pack and put a med in? Yeah, that's what I was just talking about. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, there's two ways you can do it. Um, you can double click this wheel and that just adds a generic event. So if you don't have time, you're just like, I just need a timestamp. I know I did something here. It'll just come in as a generic event. Here's the event button. So when you go to here, oh my gosh. ASA, adenosine, amiodarone, atropine, and then there's a whole second page. Um, IV axis, IOV axis, lidocaine, mag, nit or, uh, nitro. So yeah, lidocaine, boom, and then it says lidocaine. I don't know if some of these, I don't know if all of them translate directly to an intervention that, that's tied in with the report writing software, but. Even just that double click, you can go, oh yeah, I haven't clicked for that. Yeah, that'll, that'll show a general, a generic event. So, let's see here, okay, so. Yeah, we went through the situations. Some of these are more specific to calls you go on, like your, the cardiac arrest one is tailored more towards things you might use in a cardiac arrest. So it's gonna eliminate some of the other fluff. Not much. A lot of them are pretty, you'll find most of this stuff in the ALS interventions. But some of it, like trauma, you might not find certain things unless they're in trauma. Like you might get better like spinal mobilization or. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and I do use like this full body vacuum splint um, if I'm doing interventional stuff. Splinting. Uh, you guys will have so much time to play around with this and six months you'll be teaching the class on it. Okay. All right. So scene info. So here we go. Um, down in this history presenting illness, these check boxes typically you're gonna check the, the left four because you're not usually going to trauma, you're not usually going to cardiac arrest, and it's usually no, 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 no. If you check yes to any one of these, you're gonna have an additional field that pops up on, on your menu here. So when I checked, uh, so watch what happens here. EMS arrival, prior to EMS arrival, got a cardiac arrest. When you're writing a cardiac arrest reports, which are going to be the bane of your existence because they take like an hour and a half. Oh, they, well, yeah, they, they suck. So there's all these little things to fill out. They want to know. And there's only a few that are like, the ones highlighted with the exclamation points are the ones that you have to put in f to close the report. But they're going to want to know things like, you know, did you get return of spontaneous circulation in the field at any point? Did it, you know, there's all those questions. Um, do you, they want to know, okay, why did, why was the cardiac arrest? Why did it happen? Is it presumed cardiac or is there trauma involved? Some, you know, and then 
Yeah, just take some time. I encourage you when you go on shift to just kind of explore some of these menus. You can make make a fake report and uh, screw around with those. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's just check yes to all these and see what else we get. Um, vehicle accident stuff. Again, a lot of these aren't required to close out of the report, but this is all stuff that the federal government tracks. Like main area of the vehicle compact, impacted by the collision, you know, rollover, yes, no, location of patient and vehicle. So uh, let's see here, opioid overdose, reasons for the overdose. Uh, have you seen this patient in the past for the same thing? Was Narcan given and who by? And trauma. Anytime there's a ground level fall or any kind of trauma, you're going to have to check this box, cause of injury, um, and there's a whole list of things. This, there's the drop down menu you get here, then there's also this, this one, this other check next to it gives you a little more organized um, box with categories rather than, this one just lists everything under the sun, right? And you got to scroll, 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 and you're not going to find it. This one gives you a little more uh, categorized uh, checkboxes. And if you can't find what you're looking for, just type in a word to search and you, you'll likely find it that way. Um, trauma center criteria, we don't, have a, we don't have an active trauma center, so what you're going to, and it's going to ask for that. Um, yeah, so if you select something up there and, okay, now these are red, um, and the options they give you are, we don't have, I, I don't, honestly, I just, I don't fill those up. I just put not applicable. Are you okay with that, Rob? Sorry, I don't know how I, So on this injury info, you know, we, we cause of, ask for the cause of injury. And then it says trauma center criteria, and we ha we can pick. We don't really work necessarily by those criteria because we don't go to a specific trauma center, and it's not like we're saying okay, we're taking them there because of this. So it's I kind think of. It's part of the state data that they're trying to collect. So I believe that's, and I know what you're saying that it would be more probably applicable to different trauma centers if we had different folks to transport to. But All right. Yeah, extra credit if you want to do it. It's extra credit, but nobody's making us do it yet, so I encourage you not to do it. <laughs> the computer lets you not do it, so it's okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any. You know, I showed you a couple of the other little tricks, and you guys all know about attaching attachments now. Um, you can also view attachments from here. You can select them. Uh, and just hit, uh, where is it, browse, uh, some of them, maybe, oh, you know what, if you take a picture and you select that, it'll allow you to preview it without having to generate a, a report. The other way to do it is like before we said we can click on the print button, which gives you this pre-hospital care report, and then you, it'll show up at the bottom. Yeah, so this kind of gives you an idea of what other people are seeing. So you can see like this assessment summary. 
If you go through and check all those boxes for your assessment, guess what? You get a separate box for mental status, you get a separate box for left foot, you get it in, in a description and details. And it doesn't even put all your comments in there. Sometimes I, I found that I was writing all these d detailed comments, they weren't even showing up here. It's like, are you kidding me? So forget it. <laughs> Stupid. Seriously. So um, you will find that that uh, narrative section, front and center, that's where the bones of your report are. And that's, that's where you should spend the most of your time getting good. Um, and then the rest is just figuring out how to make it all work. All right. I've talked probably way too long. Um, do you guys have any other questions about this or report writing or anything else? All right. Hearing none, seeing none.